0: And John saw another sight in heaven, great and marvelous. Seven angels having the seven last plagues. For in them the wrath of God is complete. It's like they're in the huddle. They're getting ready to break the huddle. And I saw something like a sea of glass mingled with fire, those who have it victory, the victory over the beast, over his image, and over his mark. Of course, in order to have the victory, they had to be murdered. And over the number of his name, standing on his, on the sea of glass, having harps of God. They sing the song of Moses, the Sermon of God, the Old Testament. In the song of the Lamb, the New Testament joined together, saying, great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the saints. Who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? It's the question. Who shall not fear you? For you alone are holy. For all nations shall come and worship before you. We saw last week that everyone will bow and confess Jesus, but some to their destruction. For all nations shall come and worship before you, for your judgments have been manifested, they've been made known. And after these things, I looked and behold the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was opened. And out of the temple came the seven angels having the seven last plagues clothed in pure bright linen and having their chest girded with golden bands. I mean, the huddle's there. It's ready to go. Father, this morning, as we recognize what it's going to be like, just moments before your final judgment on this world that's rejected your son. Lord, speak to us this morning. Lord, as you would set this stage. Lord, as you would prepare. And Lord, may it do something in our hearts to where we would see mankind, God, the way you do. We wouldn't judge, but Lord, there would be compassion, mercy. Lord, you'd, you'd stir something in us. That we walk away this morning more in love with Jesus than when we walked in. So God, may your word find good soil in our hearts that we would produce fruit that others would partake of. we clear away to the distractions, the things that are gonna get us sidetracked this morning. That we could truly have ears to hear what your spirit desires to speak to our hearts. So God, please just bless our time in your word, in Jesus' name. Amen, you can be seated. Let's title this message this morning the pre-fight show. I don't watch uh, MMA or or uh, WWE or boxing. I mean, I've watched a little bit of it, but I'm pretty sure that before those boxes or matches or fights, that there's a bunch of smack talking going down about who's going to do what to their opponent. True or false? For those of you watching i imagine there's a lot of hype. This is what I'm going to do and this is what I'm going to win. Well, as we go through chapter 15, there is no smack talking in this chapter. But this chapter 15 in the book of Revelation is definitely a preview of what lies ahead of chapter 16. And so we're going to really set the stage for next week. Because when we get into chapter 16, it just happens. And it's like, Judgment, 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 judgment. And so I want to lay a foundation as to why God's going to do that. God doesn't just all of a sudden go, okay, that's it. Time up. Now, do it. There's a reason behind it. Next week, as we go through chapter 16, those earth dwellers are going to be prepared to meet their maker. Because when we get into chapter 16, I don't believe anybody turns to Christ at that point. It's gone. It's over. Game time is over. God's judgment happens so fast they don't even recognize it. Kind of like the flood. By the time they rejected Noah's offer to get on the boat, it was too late. And they, they were destroyed. This chapter sets the background scene from which the judgments in chapter 16 will emerge. And it will bring us to the final judgment of, of God upon an earth that has rejected his son, Jesus. So you can say this chapter 15 is the final pause before the mother of all storms. Because it's going to be crazy. So my encouragement to you is read ahead. You know, it's there. It looks like it happens one right after the other, bowl one, bowl two, bowl three, right to the very end. You should have noticed by now unless you are just now joining us, that the book of Revelation is, it's not necessarily in chronological order, it is, but many times John will paint this overall sweeping scene with this very vast outline, and then he returns in the next chapters and adds in details, or he strengthens some of the earlier descriptions with greater detail, or if you're an artist, He'll return to the painting and he's going to add more color. That's what chapter 15 is. You could easily say these are fill in chapters that add, add further detail to events already described. Because remember, we saw the Battle of Armageddon from last week, where Jesus wins and everybody else loses. These next two chapters add in more details to these events that we've already read about in revelation chapter 10 and chapter 14 we read about the second coming of Christ so we already saw the game was over but but now we're going back and in these chapters 15 and 16 well they're going to take place before the Lord comes back and we find this pattern in many of the prophets writings but we also find it in the book of Genesis where God details out his creation in all of chapter one it's all there But then in chapter two, he goes and details out just the the, uh, creation of man and woman. So chapter or Genesis is written pretty much, at least the first two chapters, it's written like the book of Revelation. We'll find the number seven, that number of, of completion in chapter 15. We're going to find it eight times in this chapter, starting right here in verse one. Then I saw another sign in heaven. Great and marvelous. So obviously John is back in heaven. Remember, he was standing on the sand and he saw the beast coming up out of the water and out of the earth. So obviously he's back in heaven and he saw seven angels having the seven last plagues for in them the hot wrath of God is complete. Now please understand, God is not just blowing off steam here. This word for thumo, or this word for hot, or for wrath is thumos. Ten times it shows up in the book of Revelation. This is a boiling over type of wrath. Not a sitting on it cooking. No, that's orge. This is thumos, where it boils over. It carries with it the idea of fierceness, volatile, indignation, passionate anger. Let's just put it this way. That's coming from God. You're not going to want to be there for this. When, when these seven angels with their seven pre-filled bowls full of the justice of God pour them out on a Christ-rejecting world, not only is it all over at that point, but God's wrath on this Christ-rejecting world its complete so when we get done with chapter 16 the judgment's all done of course we're going to see the battle of Armageddon in chapter 19 chapter 17 and 18 we'll talk about the Babylonian system but the judgment will be done all that will be left is for the east to fight the west and then to become allies and take on Jesus and that battle's over before it even starts but can you imagine the full wrath of God being poured out on this earth that's got to be crazy so let me ask you this as we think about, because next week we're ain't going to stop and think about it. We're just going to go through it. But does it bother you in any way that the God of love is going to pour out his wrath that way upon mankind? I'm pretty sure the devil would try and exploit this look and this chapter against you at those times in your life when you wonder like, God, where are you? And the devil comes along and, and the demons whispering, "Here, oh, he's abandoning you. It's done with you." And don't let him do that. You and I need to know his methods. God is always a God of love, and and God is still a God of love in chapter sixteen. He's given man all of this time to get right with their Maker. He's done everything from Genesis chapter three forward. He's done everything for man. To get right with their maker. Yes, we're disciplined by God as his dear children, but discipline and God's judgment are opposites. God's judgment on one side of the coin His discipline on the other. And as I have found in my life, when God disciplines me, the devil's always close by seeking to turn that judgment or that that discipline into judgment by trying to get me thinking (laughs) a certain way, by trying to make it something else. But it's never anything else, team. You you and I, we know that we fight this spiritual battle. We know his lies are always gonna to seek to get you to quit or run away or get away from God's people or run away from the cross or forget the Bible, man. God, you're failing me and the devil's right there saying, yeah, that's God's judgment upon you. No, it's his discipline. He's trying to get your attention. God is not going to judge his children any more than a mom or dad would judge their children, but he does discipline. It's just like we, we do our own kids. So when the, when you're in a place and you go, and the enemy in my flesh wants to question the fairness of God, God, you know, hey, listen to the voices. Just listen to them. Listen to the voices and see which way they want to take you. Which way is it trying to move you? Is it trying to move you towards God and his people and his word and the cross? Or is it trying to move me away from those things? See, those voices that try and move me away from God and God's people and God's word and the cross, I need to punish those voices. Paul writes about it in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. This is what he says. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. Casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Because that's what the devil does. He wants to exalt his words above God's. Casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all of those that want to lead you astray. You got to punish them. You got to know the, the Bible. You go, no, nope, no. Nope. And even if you don't know the Bible, just look at the direction it's taking you. If it's moving you away from God, God's people, it's not God. Because God wants to pull you in. God is never going to push you away. As a child of God abiding in Jesus, you will not face his judgment ever like we're going to see in chapter 16. Because Jesus Christ is our advocate. We're never going to see you in chapter 16. So when the devil comes around shooting arrows of doubt doubt at you, counter with the word of God. Counter with the truth. Counter with how can God not bring his judgment on this earth? I mean, think with me for a minute where this all started. Actually, it starts with God, but God has no beginning or ending. But before the foundations of the world, the Bible tells me, before any of this was laid... God knew he would have to redeem his creation. Man, that speaks of a God of what? God knew what mankind would do. And before any of it was created, God knew. God saw himself coming to this earth as a baby, born in a dirty animal shelter. And where there are animals, there's what? Doesn't matter how you spell it. It's the same way whether you go P double O P or you go backwards, P double O P. I mean, that's where the say that's where God chose to be born. And have you ever seen how cows slobber when they eat out of the feeding troughs? You ever seen a cow's tongue? They're big. And and no doubt that feeding trough, man, that thing was slicked clean when Mary placed baby Jesus in it. And yet God saw all this. God was willing to take on human form to redeem mankind. See, God is just when he pours out his judgment next week. And so when we go all the way back to Genesis, not only do we see God taking a human form there, but we also see that he wins as as God tells the devil, yes, you're going to bruise my son's heel, but he's going to crush your head. So all the way from the very beginning in chapter 3 of Genesis, God says, look, Yeah, you may think you win, but you're going to lose because God makes the way of redemption. And so we need to think about that next week as we're watching God pour out his judgment on a a world that says, I don't want you. I don't have any time for you. We read through the Gospels, God living 33 years on this earth, 100% man, 100% God, and he's tempted in everything yet without sin. And see, that's why he can sympathize with me when I blow it. I can come to him. He ultimately gives up his life by allowing himself to be put to death, that you and I might have life and not just life, but abundant life and never face his judgment. So he creates perfect, man blows it, sin comes in, God fixes it. And says, look, turn to me and you'll survive and you'll live. And if you don't, my judgment. Well, it's a no-brainer. Except for our world that is good at deceiving people. Our God is just and fair and provided the way for people to escape judgment that we're going to see next week. And he has to exercise judgment on those who reject his free offer of grace. Otherwise, you know, just be God for one second. Sorry, son, you died on the cross for nothing. I'm just going to let all these people in. But here's what we need to understand. That's the world we're living in today. Well, I don't think a God of love is going to do that. Really? So he sent his son to die on the cross so that and suffer the wrath of God just for nothing? But that's our world we're living in today. That's what people think. Think of it this way. A man runs a red light, hits a woman, putting her in the hospital. She sues, he loses, she wins. And so the judge lays out the penalty. Here's his choices. Yeah, I'm gonna give you two. I'm a fair judge, I'm gonna give you two choices on how to make restitution. Pay her bills, the charges dropped and community service. Or pay her bills, pay a fine, go to jail. Your choice. Which one would you like? Well, the man decides that neither is fair, and he decides to create his own system of justice. He determines he has a better way of seeking the outcome than the judge. How well is that going to work? Not going to work at all. I mean, is the judge not justified in pronouncing judgment upon this man? Of course he is, because he gave the man choice. The man just doesn't want the choices. And that's where we are today in a the world. They don't want God's choices. I mean, the man thought that the judge either couldn't do anything or he wouldn't enforce his ruling. And so he thought, I'll just create my own system. Thus, whatever man receives, the judge is just in bringing about his judgment because the judge offered the man choice the very thing that God offers today through the cross of Jesus Christ. God will be just. So when we watch it all destroyed next week, God is going to be just. Because he offered choice. God has done everything. But violated our free will. And that he won't do. That's what the tree in the garden represents. We all would have been a bunch of robots. But with that tree in the garden represents free choice. You and I, we have free will choice every single day. Thus, whatever the man receives, the judge is right, righteous about his judgment. God's done the same for us, but in a more radical way. He knew we couldn't pay the price for sin ever. The Bible tells us, you know, God served the time on the cross so you and I wouldn't have to. So the conclusion to all of this is that God is just in serving up his wrath on this christ rejecting world. We need to know that. Because our world doesn't think that way anymore. You know, people probably 40 and under, they don't think that way anymore. People older, they have a concept of God. But today when you say God, the answer is more like, well, which one? No, there isn't no which one. There's only one. But the whole world is shifting. And you know, as we will see these seven last plagues will complete the judgment of God, thus allowing Jesus Christ to return and set up his kingdom on this earth, to which you and I, we should be looking forward to that. You know, we say, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. I mean, it's, it's gonna happen when these judgments are over, as we'll see next week. Verse two, and I saw something. Even unto death, there are no... And here they are, they're standing on this Sea of glass, having harps of God. Trivia fact, the only other people that have harps in the, in the book of Revelation are the 24 elders. And so here they are, along with them. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. So as the line. And there's, four, there's literally a four-point outline right here. There's four things in this song that they celebrate when they sing and minister unto the Lord. They're singing about God's works. Think about God's works in your life. Think of all the times he's come through. He's rescued you even when we placed ourselves in horrible places. He got you the job. Think of God's works. Instead of Revelation 15, it's only 52 words. So it's a, and the message centers in and on the praise of God because God's the one that delivered them on Passover. God's the one that takes them through the Red Sea. The focus is on who he is and what he can and will do for them. And it's a great reminder to us all to run in such a way to reach the finish line because the Old Testament pictures, our New Testament theology, we see him paint the the sides of their house to the promised land. How many make it the first time around? Two. Let's listen to people the people said no 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 we don't want the promised land we don't want the promised land and God says okay great you don't want it I'll give you what you what you want go spend 40 years their kids wanted it but they did see God's never going to force us to take anything that's his that he offers us God sees his Israelites to the promised land, and he brought It's unwise for us to ever challenge the words of God, or even the ways of God. I think that's what the devil wants to do. It's certainly what he did with Eve. he, he, He sought to challenge the ways of God and the fairness of God, and it worked. Hey, God's holding out on you. If God was a God of love, He would allow you to eat anything and everything. Matter of fact, he knows the day you eat it, you're going to be just like him. It's the message of the world. Team, we must always remember or fall back on just and true of the ways of our God. we got to camp there. we just got to know that. The devil's tactics was to seek to. I think the devil lays that same strategy on us when we receive things yeah God allowed them and we receive them but others don't receive the same things like a job layoff death of a child or spouse operations on your child cancer accidents wrong School teachers, maybe. Not all school teachers. (laughs) The devil is always close by to offer fiery darts like, I don't see how a God of love could allow that or do that to you. Because as he was in Genesis 3, it's how he is today. And people are going to buy into that philosophy, and they're going to be in chapter 16 next week. Now, that doesn't seem fair that God would bring that into your life he lies those things to us the devil's looking for weak links in our spiritual armor I don't believe he would or we would never think this and say it but when we question the trials in our lives with, with like God how could you are we not acting as if we know more than God that somehow we are more just than God? It's kind of ridiculous. We, I don't think we would ever verbalize that. But when we think that way, how, how come God? I don't, I don't think God has to answer. He might, if he does answer, I bet you his answers are very short. God, why did this happen to me? I've been a good person. I've paid all my bills. I tithe faithfully every week. I read my, I've been reading my Bible. I, I, and I is at the center of all of that but that's right where the devil and his demons want to take us. Because that's working within the world today. You see, Satan is always challenging God the same way and accusing us and God about protecting us. We all know that the God of the Bible is also patient, amen? He's patient. We see that all the way through. So when we get to chapter 16 next week, God just doesn't decide, oh, let's, let's just, let's wipe them out. No, no, I need to understand the judgment of God. It's also all about the patience of God. And the best place to look at the patience of God is Genesis 15. So let's turn there for a quick peek. I want you to see this. I want us to see the patience of God as he deals with the nation of the Amorites. They are a totally ungodly group of people. They're descendants of Lot. And in Genesis chapter 15, verse 16, God is telling Abe that his people are going to go into a land and be inflicted for 400 years. And then, in verse 16, God tells Abe why that's going to happen. But in the fourth generation, and each generation here is 100 years, they shall return here, meaning back to the promised land, For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. Do you see that? The cup of sin was not yet full. They were bad, but they weren't bad enough yet for God to act. I believe they could have repented at any time. They could have stayed the execution of God's judgment upon them. They just chose not to. And God's going to give them 400 years. Just like... In today's day God is patient but that day will come to an end now turn to Deuteronomy chapter 20 the the, the people that came out of Egypt have all died off jo- Joshua and Caleb and Moses are the only ones that are left Moses is going to go up on the mountain and see it God he's going to die there and so God is giving Joshua and the people these, these new instructions Deuteronomy 20, verse 16. But of the cities of these people, which the Lord your God gives you as an inheritance, you shall let nothing that breeds remain alive, but you shall utterly destroy them. The Hittite and the who? The Amorite. Amorite, And the Canaanite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, the Jebusite, the Termite, and all these otherites. Just as the Lord your God has commanded you. Now, if you started right there in your Bible, You'd think, man, that's totally unfair that God wipes out all those people just so his his promised land people, the Jews, the nation of Israel, could have a place to live. That doesn't seem fair. No, no, that's because you got to realize God gave them over 400 years to repent. They just chose not to. God is patient. It's almost twice as long as our nation has been in existence. 400 years. See, our God, the Creator of the universe, is extremely fair and patient. So we, we got to trust Him. Think about your own day-to-day trials. Is it ever going to end? No. We need to trust Him. It will end. I'm 100% positive. Your whatever trial you're in right now will end because God has another one for you. You know, it's going to end. And when we're in those things, we just fall back on the fact that he loves us and he has a plan for life, even if we don't understand what it is at that point. Because God is fair and God is patient. Genesis chapter 18. How about Sodom? Is God patient there? Genesis chapter 18, verse 20. And the Lord said, Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grave, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry against it that has come to me, and if not, I will know. Now God knows the outcome. There, this is all for our benefit, names' benefit, I believe, that we might now that God is righteous and just when He brings judgment upon them, He goes down. And remember the bargaining that Abraham does with Moses, or that Abraham does with God? Hey, God, if there's 50 righteous, will you destroy it? If there's 40, if if there's 10, and Abraham thought, yeah, 10, there's gotta be at least 10 righteous. We know there wasn't. But God wasn't rash. God was slow to anger. How about the days of Noah, Genesis chapter 6? How long does God wait after he pronounces judgment? Look at verse 3 in Genesis 6. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is a deep flesh, and it was wicked. Yet his days shall be 120 years. So does God give them 120 years to get it together? I don't know. All I know is he spoke his plan 120 years before it happened. There was room on the ark. People could have got on. They just chose not to. There's room to get into the kingdom today, but those that choose not to, well, they're going to receive chapter 16 next week. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 20, speaks about those who chose not to get on the boat. Who formerly were disobedient when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, Well, the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is eight souls were saved through water. Again, it's all choice. They could have. Hey, what are you making? A boat, why? It's gonna rain, flood the earth. Well, they'd never seen rain before. They didn't believe that. I'll bet you there's a lot of people pounding on that boat after the doors have been shut and it started to rain, but it's too late. Too late. choice. They just chose to they chose to perish. They chose not to believe the message that Noah preached, not only with his words but also his life. How about Rahab the prostitute in Jericho? You know the two spies that that whole thing goes down? She was the only one that believed and acted on her belief. And she got her family in with her. Everyone else was killed. I don't know, maybe they thought their walls were good enough. We find the same long-suffering of God in the New Testament, Revelation chapter 2, verse 21, speaking of the church in Thyatira. And I gave her time that she might repent of her fornication, and she did not repent. God is fair and patient. So again, when we see it all going down next week, you gotta just know God just didn't decide to act that way. You no, know, God has a plan. And if he has a plan for that, he has a plan for every day of our life. We just gotta rest in it. If you know, God waits, gives people a chance to come clean Think about all the messengers that God sent to his people in the Old Testament, the prophets. Some they stoned, some they they killed, others they kicked out of town, others were in prison. God sent them over and over again to turn back to the God of Israel. It chose not to. We see the same promise in the New Testament in 2 Peter 3, verse 9. Let me read it to you. The Lord is not slow concerning his promise, as some count slowness but his long-suffering towards us, as Peter writes to the believers. But his long-suffering towards us, not willing that any of us should perish, but that all of us should come to repentance. That's the heart of God. Many times he's slow to act that others might be saved. But please know this, there is a day coming when it will happen. Either by your death or by rapture, it's going to happen. And God set it up that way because the church is supposed to be ready and wake and waiting and, and watching because we want to be found worthy. Jesus said, pray that you be found worthy to escape the judgment that's coming. And so John says here in verse five, after these things I looked and behold the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was open. That would have been an awesome sight as he looks in and out of the temple, Okay, so notice, please, straight from God. Nobody's acting on their own will. It's, it's not like, well, hey, are these angels decided to go rogue here? No, they are coming right out of the temple. And here came the seven angels having the seven last plagues, clothed in pure bright linen and having their chest girded with golden bands. certainly speaks of God's judgments that are always pure and righteous. And then one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. Now, when you think of bowl here, don't think of a cereal bowl. This is more of like a flatter soup bowl or a plate with some little sides on it. So when it's poured out, it's going to go fast. It's not going to be slow. and We'll see that as we get into the next chapter. This temple in heaven is the one that God instructed Moses to make when he was building the tabernacle. He said, "Make it like this one," and John is looking in there. You read all about the earthly temple in Exodus 25. Paul tells us in Hebrews 9:24 that that Christ has not entered the holy place made with hands, which are copies of the true, but in the heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Now, I don't know if John sees Jesus there. It says there's smoke there, so maybe he did. But he's looking right there. This would be the temple where Stephen, while being stoned, looked up to heaven and saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. This is that, as John looks in and sees that the the throne is open. Turn to Colossians chapter 3 with me, just for a quick minute. Colossians chapter 3, right? Right in there in the beginning. If then you were raised with Christ, and you are if Christ is in you, if you're born again, the Spirit of God lives in you. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. That's what John sees. He, he sees that's where Christ is in the throne. Seek those things where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Say your heart your mind on things above, not on things on the earth for you have died. See that, Christian, believer, for you've died. If I've died, what do I got left going for me? Rights, responsibilities, if I've died? People in the cemetery have any rights, responsibilities, or anything going for them? (laughs) No. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ and God. Or Paul says, you've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer you who live, But it's Christ. This is the temple that John's looking at in chapter 15 here. This temple is directing the affairs of the final judgments of God. And if God is directing the affairs of that judgment and the word of God is calling me as a believer to look up, what part do you and I play in directing our lives? In this day and age, quite a bit. But again, this is where the world is today. This is where the church is today. See, it's in the Lord with all your heart and in all of your ways, acknowledge him. Oh, that's that's not even biblical anymore. But that's the greatest promise to a believer, to trust in the Lord with all our heart and, and, and lean not on our own understanding. Don't do that. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Yeah, I don't want to do that. It's kind of old fashioned stuff, man. No, that, it's wrong. God wants to direct our past, even as he's directing the affairs of the judgment. Let's see if God's directing the affairs of judgment at the final end of mankind's time on this earth, man, I can trust him to take care of me. I can trust him to watch over me every day. See, this is why I never have to worry, because God's the one that's watching over the affairs of my life. And yet when I find myself in a place where I shouldn't, I need to look 90 degrees upward and I need to repent, get back to that place. Listen to Hebrews chapter four, verse 14. This this is what John sees as he looks up into the throne. See that you and I, we have a great high priest who's passed into the heavens. Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our confession for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was at all points tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. And when you blow it, boom! Run to the throne here. Grace and mercy, it's a good thing. This throne of grace is in heaven, calling the shots in this final chapter of life on this earth team. And today, man, it's available to us as we daily die to ourselves and pick up our cross and follow after Jesus. I I hope we all know that this world is not a playground to play on. It's a battlefield to fight on. This earth is not our home. We're aliens. We're pilgrims. We're ambassadors. We're sojourners. We're passing through. We're missionaries. We are. Just don't look around what's happening in the church. You got to look around what's happening in the Bible. We're missionaries, every single one of us. We act differently. We eat differently. We talk differently. we, We live life differently. We're missionaries because God's the one directing the affairs of our lives. And we need to be ready to fight. But our weapons of our warfare, they're not carnal. They're not fleshly. You're not, I'm going to give you a peace of my mind. No, none of that. We need to be ready to fight because God has ensured us. As we die to ourselves daily, we will win the battle and we will collect the souls of men and women. But you'll never do that by living for yourself. God wants us to be his representatives in these last days that we live in. Verse 8. The temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power and no one was able to enter. See that? No one's coming in to the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. So why the smoke? We see it was the glory of God and his power. But John's looked into the throne before and described things. But this time there's smoke. So why was no one able to enter the temple of God until his judgment was all over? I have no idea, but I'll give you some possible answers. There's no turning back at this point. The judgment's going to happen. The plan is irreversible. No one can stop it. No one can stop it because no one has access into the temple in heaven and the angels are going to obey nobody can counter it. So why the smoke? This is my best answer. Because the heart of God aches. Remember when Jesus, he's, he's, he's coming into Jerusalem for the final time and he weeps over the city. Not because they're going to reject him. No, he weeps over the city because he sees their Destruction. Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. So could it be that the smoke's there because God doesn't want anyone to see him? Because he's heartbroken? I don't know. God wants to be every man's savior, not their judge. But if you fight God long enough, he will let you win as we look through the scripture, smoke is always accompanied with God's presence. as we look at Isaiah, as he, he's there in the presence of God, the place where he was was filled with smoke. But we know God does not delight in the death of the wicked. Maybe he doesn't want to be saved. I don't know. No doubt it's a sad day in the temple while the seven remaining bowls full of judgment are poured out. They're not rejoicing. However, as soon as it's done, then they rejoice. Nobody rejoices in heaven over judgment, only when it's done. So why the smoke? I don't know. So no one can see it. Whatever's happening there, obviously. Next week, we'll go into the details of what it's going to be like in the final days of this earth. And as I, as I was thinking about next week, you know, I'm thinking about a lot of people that are going to, even like Kelly Chapel got, well, you know, we're New Year, we're going to do this new thing. and While others will be talking about New Year's resolutions that they're going to make and then break in a couple weeks. So please don't do that. Don't make a promise to yourself that you're going to do something. Think of all the resolutions you've made and broken. Lots of them. Amen? Amen? Awesome. Just don't, just don't do that. But as the many parts of the church are going to be talking about these resolutions they're going to make and break in a couple weeks later, our New Year's message will be the destruction of the remaining mankind from God's earth. But now we know why it's going to be that way. The earth is going to go through tremendous upheaval Or the islands, Maui, where do you go? It's going to flee away. Mountains? It's going to be like Texas. There won't be any mountains. So you know that one, that tall one there where they climb and die? That mountain will be gone. As God pours out his final bold judgments upon this earth. The world's going to go through some cataclysmic change. I believe it's going to go back to what it was like in the days of Eden. The caps will melt whatever's buried up there under two miles of ice is going to come back to life. That's what awaits all those who think that they should be the judge over their lives. It's crazy. Yet God Almighty, the creator of the universe wants to be that over their lives. But that's where we're going to be next week. Not exactly the message we like to preach because of man's refusal to receive God's grace and mercy, God in his justice must very soon judge the earth. Otherwise, Billy Graham's wife, Ruth, who used to say, you know, if God doesn't act soon, he's going to have to apologize to Sodom. It's just a saying, I don't think. She meant that. But as she looked at the condition of the earth, as she looked at the condition of America, she saw all the things that happened in her own lifetime to change. We're obviously not like Sodom and Gomorrah. There's more than ten righteous in America. But you know what? We kill millions of babies every year. I think that catches God's notice. I don't think I don't ever read of them killing babies in Sodom and Gomorrah. We have our own thing where God would be righteous and acting. We're going to see it next week. So there you go, team. The pre-fight show. No smack. All truth. So we got to be ready. Because this is how it's going to go down. Father, we're thankful for all that you want to do in our lives.